happy start of the week to you. This is the Y'all Show, where we, for the next several hours, will be together talking about what's going on across the South and maybe what's going on in the nation, but with a Southern tint, if you know what I mean. John Rawl is my name, and this is the program powered by Y'all.com, the South's homepage as we broadcast on awesome radio stations. Thank you for tuning us in here on this start of the week Monday. Got a busy show, and we are excited to bring all of the headlines from across the South your way. Today on our headlines, we'll be telling you about the increase in temperatures. Today, temps hovering around 100 in some sections of the region. And this is a common thing here the last few days across the southeast across the country frankly with heat records being broken we'll give you an update on the weather speaking of the weather of course california and nevada being hit by this tropical storm hillary first time that part of the country has seen something that the south's pretty used to in quite some time we'll give you our thoughts on that plus a weather related or god related event if you will happened in Hawaii two weeks ago with the wildfire outbreak. And today, President Biden heading to Maui to visit that devastation. And I may not get to it here in hour one, but I promise you, before we get out of here today, I'm going to I'm gonna go off on the 46th president of the United States. I, I did not see until this weekend the video of him essentially ignoring questions about, sir, are you going to, what do you got to say about it? the Hawaii wildfires, and he dodged the question. He wanted to hang out in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, instead of helping out one of our U.S. states have the worst wildfire outbreak and deaths in modern history. And this is a state that was very loyal to him, not that that matters, really inexcusable, not just from the response of the president, but the administration and even local authorities on the ground in the Aloha state. And at some point, I'm going to go off on Biden, Hawaii, and more. We've got a 1,000 people, a 1,000 Americans still unaccounted for in Hawaii right now. This is just a sad chapter that is truly something you do not expect from what's supposed to be the leading country in the world. So I'll go off on that at some point. I doubt I'll do it this hour. We've got so many other headlines. Speaking of presidents of the United States, Donald Trump, we've got some information about him as he's going to skip the presidential primary debate that's going on this week in Wisconsin. He's going to have alternative programming, it appears. We'll tell you about that. Plus, the latest polls have come out. Emerson College poll shows not just Trump with a big lead, but some intriguing information about who's in second place on the Republican side. We'll have that in our headlines here on today's Y'all Show. We also tell you about how a Missouri respiratory therapist has now been sentenced in connection with patient deaths. So just a really disturbing story out of the Show Me State. Also from the state of Georgia, the grandson of Jimmy and Rosalind Carter says that the 39th president and the first later, both are now in the final chapter of their lives. They're in hospice, or at least President Carter in hospice, and has been for several months now. We'll give you all the latest from Plains, Georgia. Elsewhere in our headlines, if you've got a couple of um, 14 million or so, actually it might be more than that. If you've got money to burn, let's just put it that way. 
There is a beautiful estate right on the Potomac River in Maryland that you might want to pony up your money for. $49 million is the asking price for this 30,000 square foot Potomac, Maryland mansion owned by the NFL owner Dan Snyder, the owner of the Washington Redskins, then football team, then commanders, and his estate in Potomac up for sale on 15.2 acres of land. I'll tell you more about it in our real estate watch of the day. He's also had his football team up for sale, and that sold for a lot of money. Now, it might take you nearly $50 million to afford to have a child at the University of Alabama specifically one in the Greek system there, as they just had Rush at the University of Alabama at the capstone here in the last few days. And we've got a story that kind of breaks down cost of the OOTD. Do you know what that is? That's Outfit of the Day (laughs) at Bama. And it ain't cheap, y'all. Golly, I can't believe how much it costs to have a a kid in in an SEC school like Alabama go through philanthropy day and all the other goofy stuff that they do. Not a fan of the Greek systems and how ridiculous it costs at some of these schools. We'll walk through that. Plus, fun story from the South. It looks like there's a little bit of a dust-up going on between Little Debbie and Moon Pie, both of which have their roots in the Chattanooga area. We'll explain in our headlines today. Plus, also out of the state of Tennessee, WKRN.com has got a great little story that we're going we're to get to today. It's a story titled, The Weirdest Town Names in Tennessee. And we'll go through and tell you more about towns like Nameless, Tennessee. Have you heard of Nutbush? If you haven't, you should. That's the hometown of Tina Turner. How about Yum Yum in Tennessee? What about the town of Difficult or Sweet Lips or Finger or Nankapoo? Yeah, all of these are in Tennessee, and I guess you got to give the Volunteer State credit for creativity. And there's a lot of creative names in Tennessee, and WKRN out of Nashville has done a great job profiling what some of these town names are and the, the justification for these weird town names. We'll get to that on today's Y'all Show. We also have sports news to get to in today's Y'all Show, and included in that is the fact that we are now in game week of college football. Saturday, we got some games kicking off, included a game in Jacksonville, Alabama, UTEP and Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State, the Gamecocks now have moved up to FBS football. And they welcome in the miners of UTEP in to Burgess Snowfield in East Alabama this weekend. Notre Dame's going to be all the way in Ireland taking on the Navy midshipmen in a game on Saturday afternoon that will be broadcast on NBC. We'll walk through the entire schedule. There's even a game in the SEC with the Vanderbilt Commodores hosting Hawaii at First Bank Stadium in Nashville. We'll have all of the games across college football for this Saturday, August 26th, again, it's game week, y'all, in college football. And if that's not enough to get you excited, we've got some news about starting quarterbacks in the SEC, specifically for the two-time defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs, as Kirby Smart has made a decision 
about who's going to take over that program from Stetson Bennett. Now, while the news might be solid in Athens, not so sure about what's going on with the quarterback situation in Tuscaloosa, and Nick Saban has yet to name a starting QB. We'll give you all the latest on the Crimson Tide's QB situation in today's sports headline. A former Georgia Tech great and a member of the Philadelphia Eagles has passed away at age 95. We'll give you the info on Maxie Bond, who passed away over the weekend. All that coming up in our sports headlines, plus some NASCAR news. A Charlotte native has won on the NASCAR series race as William Byron won at Watkins Glen over the weekend. And we'll give you more information on this 25-year-old driver from the Queen City in our sports headlines of the Southeast today. Also, in our number one today, we've got hashtag hullabaloo. And included with that is we're going to get into the religious talk as we had a text come in about the United Methodist Church. And if you're an UMC member, you might be familiar now with the term disaffiliation. That's been going on the last couple of years in the United Methodist Church. I'll explain what that is, and I'll give you some numbers about disaffiliation within the Methodist Church. All that in this hour's hashtag hullabaloo. Plus, while we're talking about disaffiliation, we're going to talk about division. And we're going to talk about division north of the border. And I'm not talking about the Mason-Dixon line here, y'all. I'm talking about the U.S.-Canada border. We're going to go to Canada for some social media activity. And some Canadians are referencing the South in their fight online. And I'm going to tell you what exactly they're fighting about and why they're throwing the South under the bus up there. What are y'all talking about in Canada? We'll have all that in this hour's hashtag hullabaloo. Hour two today, in addition to headlines, we've got a Southern History Spotlight today. The Nat Turner raid happened this week in history. I'll let you know about that. Speaking of raids, it was today in history that Nathan Bedford Forrest, the Confederate general, raided Memphis and rode his horse in the Gayoso Hotel in downtown Memphis and caused quite a stir. They even took a Yankee general's uniform from his hotel room. They ultimately gave it back. A pretty neat story from the Civil War. We'll tell you about General Forrest's raid in Memphis. Plus, today also marks the birthdays of a couple of late Southern legends. Although not born in the South, beloved in the South for his work for the St. Louis Cardinals. Today is the birthday of the great broadcaster Jack Buck. Also today is the birthday of the Houston kid, the gambler, Kenny Rogers. Also another Texan with a birthday today, Casey Musgraves, the country music songwriter, singer, and starlet. We'll tell you about all of those artists when we have our Southern History Spotlight in our second hour today. And we also have coming up on today's Y'all Show in our second hour, our Southern Recipe of the Day. And y'all, thanks to the website southern-bites.com, we're going to go to a lady named Carrie and get you her dill pickle recipe. You can make delicious dill pickles thanks to Carrie and thanks to southern-bites.com. Woo, do you love dill pickles? <laughs> You're going to be in great shape come hour number two of the y'all show so that's coming up in today's y'all show hour three today we had a special guest dropping by as dakota will be on with our making head wall and together we're all going to discuss the importance of mental health 
So we'll have that spotlight as Megan drops by in our final hour. And in our final hour today, it's all about Southern sports. And we're going to let you know about the Texas A&M Aggies as College Station and Aggieland are our latest stop on our tour across the Southeast. As, as I said, this is game week in college football, and we're getting you ready for the start of the 2023 season. And we're on this tour across the Southeast today. We're in College Station talking about Jimbo Fisher's A&M Aggies. We'll actually have a chance for you to listen in and hear from Jimbo Fisher and also get the thoughts of a former Aggie playmaker as Brandon Leone once was a running back and defensive back in College Station, and he's weighed in with his 2023 expectations. All of that as Texas A&M is our latest stop on our tour across the South, and we're going to, again, go by Bryan College Station, a.k.a. Aggieland, on today's Y'all Show in our third hour going through the schedule for A&M. And boy, oh boy, if you're a fan of the maroon and white, you can't wait to tee it up and get the 2022 season in the rearview mirror. It was not a good time for the Aggies in 2022. But, you know, there's a new day coming, Aggies. So gig them. Also, just while we're on the subject of our college football tour, on Tuesday's Y'all Show, our spotlight school will be the Clemson Tigers. On Wednesday, we'll take you to Norman as the Oklahoma Sooners will be our featured school. On the Thursday Y'all Show, it's the Mississippi Land Shark Rebel Black Bears, as we'll be in Oxford, giving you a preview of Lane Kiffin's 2023 team. And on Friday, we'll wrap it up with our featured school, a school that will be literally teeing it up about 24 hours after we give our preview of them. On Friday, our spotlight school will be the Vanderbilt Commodores. All that coming up on this week's Y'all Show as we continue on with our tour across the southeast let's get into a few news headlines of the day here on talk with an accent on all things southern and the story really making the headlines is weather we've got this terrible storm working up through mexico and the california peninsula on up into now hitting nevada and more and that's the tropical storm that came out of the pacific tropical storm hillary and so we've got that going on and that's creating a lot of weather-related headlines today. Then we've got this incredible heat that's been going on, causing a lot of misery in the Gulf of Mexico area, record high temperatures over the weekend recorded in Texas and more, and a spokesperson with FEMA has come out and said that these high temperatures can affect friends, families, and neighbors who live alone. So we urge everyone to stop and visit loved ones to ensure they are healthy and well during this extreme heat. Over the weekend, the Dallas-Fort Worth area had a high of 110. That was on uh, Sunday, rather. It hit 108 there in DFW on Saturday. So it actually went up Sunday. The previous record was 107, set 12 years ago. So Dallas and that portion of North Texas with some major, major high temperatures. The National Weather Service had heat warnings in effect over the weekend for Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, and then heat advisories in effect in Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, Kentucky, and a few other states. A very, very tough stretch here that we've seen. In fact, back to Texas over the weekend, at Prairie View A&M University, which is about 50 miles 
north of Houston, while they were having a orientation for new students at Prayer View A&M, 38 students ended up having to be hospitalized over the weekend after suffering heat-related illnesses included, and that was dehydration. So just a rough, rough stretch of heat going on across the South. Please be advised. Again, triple-digit temperatures are right around there, expected throughout the region today. News from the world of politics. President Trump says he's going to skip this week's GOP presidential primary debate in Wisconsin. On his Truth Social media outlet, he said, quote, the public knows who I am and what a successful presidency I had. And in all caps, I will therefore not be doing the debates. The president, the front runner on the GOP side, has said for months that he saw little upside enjoying his rivals on stage when they gather in Milwaukee Wednesday for this debate. Trump went on to say in an interview with Fox News over the weekend, why would I allow people at 1% or 2% and 0% to be hitting me with questions all night? And he even called Fox a hostile network. I would agree with that one. They are toward him, in my opinion. But Trump skipping on these presidential debates, and I'm sure, although as of right now, I'm not aware of his official plan, but rumors are that he and Tucker Carlson are going to get together and have an alternative television event or at least Twitter event or X event going on during this Republican debate going on this week in Milwaukee. Now, some news about the number two people on the Republican side. Florida Governor DeSantis and conservative entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy are tied for second place in a new poll An Emerson College poll showed that the Florida governor and the Cincinnati area entrepreneur are tied at 10%, and they trail President Trump, who has a 56% lead in the Republican presidential field, according to this Emerson College poll. Again, the big news here is that why is this guy, Ramaswamy, who's about 37 years old, how in the heck has he tied with the the darling, the guy with so much money behind him, and a guy who's done a great job in Florida. Is he going to do a great job if elected president? Most likely he will. But a complete newcomer, truly a newcomer, has done this well. And we've played audio recently on this show of Ramaswamy, and you can see why he's got the support. The funny thing is all these people way behind this political new, newcomer, Ramaswamy, the, the Tim Scotts, the Nikki Haley's, the Chris Christie's, and others. They are nowhere close to getting 10% in polling. And therefore, watch out for this guy. He's making quite a name for himself. And Ron DeSantis still, to his credit, is on top of all these other contenders as they're fighting to be the Republican nominee in the 2024 presidential election. We'll have more political talk, speaking of presidents and more, an update from Plains, Georgia. The grandson of Jimmy and Rosalind Carter says the 39th president and the first lady are, quote, in the final chapter of their lives. President Jimmy Carter entered hospice care in February. And after a short, a series of short hospital stays, he decided to not seek further treatment and receive 
hospice care instead of additional medical intervention. And the grandson now saying that it's clear that we're in the final chapter. That from Josh Carter, grandson of the Carters. He says that they've they're having a quote runway to send off his grandparents but he says that they've lived their lives to the fullest again any day now expected to lose the Georgia governor turned president Jimmy Carter who's 98 years young and Rosalind just had a birthday the, the last week the last couple of days she had a birthday and she's just a little younger than President Carter and they are just a, a wonderful couple that have been married all these years. Jimmy turned 98 back in October, the 39th president serving there in the late 1970s. We'll have more headlines from across the southeast today, some fun stuff about moon pies and more, so you don't want to miss that as we continue on with our show about the southeast. But when we come back, we're going to turn our attention to some sports news, some news about college football quarterbacks, as a decision has been made by Kirby Smart, head coach of those Georgia Bulldogs. We'll let you know what that decision was. Plus, we'll also give you the schedule for opening week of college football. Saturday's the big day. I'll let you know the teams teeing it up Saturday. All that coming up on the Y'all Show Monday edition. For that Mount Airy, North Carolina native, Donna Fargo, you can't be a beacon if your light don't shine. We're back on y'all, talking about all things Southern. Now, a little Southern sports news, and congratulations, everybody. We have officially made it to game week of college football, as we've got about a half a dozen games kicking off this Saturday across college football. And college football's 2023 season begins in, of all places, Dublin, Ireland. If you tune in Saturday afternoon, it'll be a game between the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and their longtime rival out of Annapolis, the Navy Midshipmen. And Notre Dame this year, they'll be getting together out of the country. Their ship has sailed to Dublin for this big kickoff game. Again, it'll be a 2.30 Eastern, 1.30 Central kick. United States time, that is. I guess it would be prime time there in Dublin at Avia Stadium between the Irish and the Middies. 
That's the first college game of the year, and really they'll have an exclusive game going on for several hours because the second game of the year doesn't kick off until 5.30 Eastern, 4.30 Central, and it's a game within the Central time zone, as in Jacksonville, Alabama, at Burgess Snowfield. Congratulations to the Gamecocks of Randy Owen University, a.k.a. uh, Jacksonville State. The Gamecocks have now entered FBS football. They're a member of Conference USA now, and the CUSA member Gamecocks of J-State will be taking on UTEP there just outside of Anniston. And that will be a game televised on the CBS Sports Network. Rich Rod is the coach of Jacksonville State these days, and he's got his Gamecocks ready to take on the Miners in the second game of the entire 2023 season, and that will be late Saturday afternoon. The Aggies of New Mexico State have a game in Las Cruces, and that'll be ESPN's primetime game Saturday as they welcome in the Minutemen from UMass into Aggie Memorial Stadium. San Diego State welcomes in the Bobcats of Ohio, and here in the South, Vanderbilt in primetime on the SEC Network this weekend. On Saturday night, you can tune in and see from Music City, USA, Clark Lee's Commodores taking on the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. A portion of the ticket sales from First Bank Stadium are going to the Hawaii Wildfire Relief Fund. So Vanderbilt and Hawaii will be the first SEC game of the entire year. Again, SEC Network is where you can tune in and see that game. And then two other games going on Saturday. One in the south, one way out in California. The Trojans of Lincoln Rally will be hosting at the Coliseum San Jose State, and that'll be a game in primetime on the Pac-12 network, the final year of the Pac-12 network, the final year of the Pac-12, and it's a send-off as USC's getting their boxes out and getting ready to pack them for the Big Ten, but one more year of Pac-12 play for the men of Troy, and it's San Jose State coming in for a a battle of, I guess, teams with nicknames going back to ancient uh, Greece and Rome time going off in the Coliseum. And then our last game of the evening is going to be taking place at Joelette Stadium in North Louisiana in the city of Ruston as the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs on the CBS Sports Network have the Panthers of Florida International coming in for a Conference USA matchup. Again, that's all this weekend. It's the opening weekend. It's really week zero, if you will, of college football And there's about, what did I say, about six or seven games there that you can tune in and see. So, happy college football season, y'all. A decision has been made by Kirby Smart, head coach of the two-time defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs. And Kirby Smart trying to replace Stetson Bennett as the QB there in the Classic City. Coach Smart has picked Carson Beck as Georgia's starting quarterback as he's going to rely on Beck to lead the team to another national championship. Beck was the top backup to Stetson Bennett in 2022, and he ended spring practice number one on Georgia's depth chart. Smart says that the junior has done the best job, and he's thrown for 310 yards and four touchdowns. He did that last year while playing for the national champion Georgia Bulldogs. He entered preseason practice as the favorite, but had to fight off Brock Vandegrift and Gunnar Stockton as contenders for this Georgia QB position. Ended up getting the role. 
Carson Beck will be wearing them silver britches. And if you're a Georgia fan, you're hoping that he's wearing the you-know-what out of the opponents on Georgia's 23 schedule as they're looking to do something that hasn't been done since the early 1930s when the Minnesota Golden Gophers won three straight national championships in college football. By the way, Carson Beck is a Jacksonville, Florida native. He played at Mandarin High School in Jacksonville before going on to be a a dog in Athens. He's already won as a backup two national championships, and now he's the guy, number 15 in red and black, Carson Beck, leading the Georgia Bulldogs in 2023. Now, another SEC team is having to replace its quarterback, as Bryce Young has gone on to be the QB of the Carolina Panthers and the number one draft pick in the 23 NFL draft. And as a result of that, there is an opening at quarterback at the University of Alabama. And Nick Saban, as of the weekend, still hasn't named a starting quarterback there. He's He's got a couple of guys in the running. He's got Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson, and Tyler Buckner all fighting for that spot. And Coach Saban over the weekend mentioning that all three QBs had a chance to play. They all took snaps, and they all completed some passes and didn't really give us tip his hat any way of which one of those three are going to be leading this team as they get ready for MTSU, the opening game for Alabama in 2023. I know one of those guys at least was on the roster last year. That would be the Martin, Tennessee native that is a, I guess, considered a sophomore now, Ty Simpson, the son of UT Martin's head coach there in West Tennessee. He has, I think, the most likely shot of getting the starting QB here, but I mean, you got some great players that have come in. Uh, Larnigan, a four-star prospect in the 23 class for Alabama. He was ranked the number 13 quarterback in his class according to 24-7 Sports, so you know he's good. All of these guys are good. And if they're not, Nick Saban's going to make sure they're good or he's going to find somebody else. Maybe they'll just go to a 100% running offense and skip the passing game knowing Nick Saban. He's going to do whatever it takes to win at the University of Alabama. And some NASCAR news. Charlotte's William Byron, the 25-year-old who grew up in the Charlotte area, he won over the weekend on the track as he won at Watkins Glen in the international race there at Watkins Glen and it was a big win for the again mid-twenties driver out of Charlotte he drives the number 24 Chevy for Hendrick Motorsports and he was able to get past Michael McDowell in the first quarter of the 90 lap event and remain in control all the way he led 66 laps in all including the last 33 laps to pick up a win on the NASCAR circuit William Byron who was once the NASCAR Xfinity Series champion back in 2017. And another win for him, as he's already won the Coke Zero Sugar 400 at Daytona back in 2020. That was his big first entry into NASCAR, his first win there. And then this win over the weekend at the Go Bowling at the Glen race at Watkins Glen. He picks up the dub, William Byron. Always good to see 
Southern fellows out there on the track winning instead of the guys who sound like they're from Jersey and Nebraska or somewhere like that. Somewhere not necessarily NASCAR country. It drives me nuts every time I, I have to hear their interviews on whatever channel's got NASCAR. I don't even know who that is anymore. We've got more sports headlines than we'll be getting through to as we go forward the rest of the day. But when we come back, we're going to wrap up our first hour up. We're going to go to hashtag hullabaloo. We're going to tell you about the United Methodist Church and its disaffiliation, plus some interesting conversation about the South coming from way up north in Canada. All that is right ahead. to our United Methodist hymnal. That's number 467 right there. Trust and obey. We're back on the Y'all Show, and this is hashtag hullabaloo, where we find things on social media, and we share it with all of y'all, and we've got United Methodist on our mind, thanks to a X that has come in from Colt Kelly, at Colt Kelly 7, who identifies himself as an independent, don't like corrupt politicians of either party america deserves the best and yes i vote that's what colt kelly is out here saying on social media this week and colt kelly has also shared this with us this week he says no wonder church attendance uh, no wonder church attendance continues to decline nobody wants to go to church with racists and bigots united methodist church disaffiliation in us largely white Southern and male-led. And what Colt Kelly is referencing is an article that the Tennessean newspaper in Nashville has just put out there with the title about disaffiliation in the United Methodist Church. That's the term used when the Methodist churches vote to, to leave the United Methodist Church. And we're seeing that going on right now. A lot of division within that church within that denomination, within the Episcopal Church that's already happened, Lutheran churches, Presbyterian churches, almost every Protestant denomination has had a division in the last decade, all primarily driven by homosexuality and the decision of churches whether to welcome in homosexuals and welcome in homosexual priests and preachers or to take a stand. And you're seeing what this term in United Methodist Church world of disaffiliation going on right now. So there's an article at the Tennessee and all about this, uh, an article titled United Methodist Church Disaffiliation and United States is Largely White, Southern, and Male-Led. Okay? So I 
I'm not able to pull that story up at the Tennessean, but I will tell you that if you're wanting to look into this story a little bit more of disaffiliation within the UMC, amid a splintering following disagreements over theology and church policy, including the LGBTQ issue, churches have been leaving the United Methodist Church since 2019, and a lot of these churches are joining what's called now the Global Methodist Church, which is a more conservative breakaway denomination. And many UMC general agencies are based in Nashville. That's why the Tennesseans writing about this is because, look, I learned a long time ago that Nashville, while the South may call it the Bible Belt, Nashville prides itself in being the belt buckle of the Bible Belt. It's where the Southern Baptist Convention has been headquartered. And I guess the United Methodist Church also has a huge presence in Nashville, Tennessee. And so according to this article and more, UMC's general agencies, a lot of them are based in the capital city of the Volunteer State. Approximately 2,000 churches have disaffiliated from the United Methodist Church up to the end of 2022. And special disaffiliation legislation was adopted in 2019 essentially and i'm not methodist but if i'm correct on this the methodist leadership essentially told churches look if you're not going to embrace our theology and church policy when it comes to lgbtq rights you're going to have the option to create your own way your own exit and I think in most cases it's an amicable split. And I know that other denominations, it's a major, major hurdle to break away from their denomination. I know that personally the church I grew up in split off from its main body, if you will. And in order to do that, they had to have multiple votes. They had to spend lots of money. They had to get lawyers involved. And in that denomination, the church does not own the building. So that's a good thing. I think in some cases, a lot of these Methodist churches are actually owned by the denomination, if if what I'm getting is correct. It's a complicated deal, and I don't know why this became a... I don't know why the, 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 the old standby denominations get to be the ones that kick you out. Why, why didn't, if you wanted to have LGBTQ rights, why didn't you come up with your own breakaway type thing? I don't understand how this happened. And I don't know if there was a, I don't think there was a vote within all denominations. I think this all happened at their leadership conferences. And boy, it would have been interesting to know especially in the South, if all Methodist congregants had one vote of whether they wanted to adopt these LGBTQ rights issues into their church, I bet you that would not have gone and passed in the Southeast at least and probably not even nationwide. And instead of these churches now joining what's called this global Methodist church, there could have been a whole new liberal, if you will, Methodist church that could have come up with. I, I don't know, but this is not just a Methodist problem. This has been going on 
and kudos to the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, if you're a conservative, has not budged as, as far as I know at all on this issue. And there are other denominations that this wouldn't even be considered to change policy to get cool with the 21st century and have LGBTQ inclusion. No, 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 no. There's a lot of denominations out there where, let's be honest, LGBTQ is nowhere on the radar, and let's just be real here, equality, especially when it terms it comes in terms of gender and in, in, in the role of the church is probably nowhere on the agenda. Now, some of these may not be as popular as Baptist and, and uh, Methodist and, I guess, Presbyterian would be pretty big up there, Lutherans to a very small scale. And to the Baptist Church also, the Southern Baptist Convention is also, to their credit, if you're a conservative, they haven't fallen on this trap of LGBTQ inclusion within the Southern Baptist Church. Shoot, they're having a problem within the Southern Baptist Convention of just the roles of, of women in leadership positions. We saw that Rick Warren's church in California got booted from the Southern Baptist Convention when they got together in New Orleans last month. All of this, again, brought up by the Colt Kelly retweet of a Tennessean article about disaffiliation in the United Methodist Church. Talk to your Methodist friends. See what they have to say about this. Again, as of the end of 2022, about 2,000 Methodist churches have disaffiliated from the United Methodist Church and are either going independent or going this global Methodist church route after LGBTQ rights and church policy and more crept into the discussion in the last few years and have splintered up this proud Protestant denomination. All right, one more before we get out of here today on the Y'all Show and our hashtag Hullabaloo comes to us this time from up north. It comes up from Canada in our latest deal, and it has to do with a tweet from Jerry DeQuatville, who's on social media, and he's a retired teacher and a unionist, and he's from Canada. And he puts out there that he's currently on a plane heading home after a meeting in Toronto, and someone tweets back at him after he put a rather political cartoon illustration to this tweet talking about global warming and more and someone responds back to him by the name of Ashley who says oh so it's okay you fly across the country then tell me I don't pay enough taxes for the climate when I've never been on a plane and I don't drive you are the problem she fires back there in Canada getting a little heated up there and then Jerry says, go back under your conser- conservative rock, bye. And then somebody else chimes in, the problem with Canada is worthless liberals like you. And then somebody else points out that treating people like this reminds people of the South in the 1960s. I don't know what they're doing up in Canada, but y'all need to cool it. Cool it there. Okay? You know what I'm talking about? Yes, liberals, and they're, according to this person, liberals in Canada discriminate like old school Southern racists. Okay, all right, cool it. I just said it. We got another hour of the Y'all Show coming up right here. A, stay tuned. 
welcome back in to the show all about the Southeast. We are the Y'all Show. I'm John Rawl, and this show broadcasts on radio stations and, and podcast form across Dixie. You can catch our podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, the TuneIn app, plus we're in Apple iTunes and Apple Podcasts. And if that's not enough, you can find the Y'all Show at the homepage of the South. That's y'all.com, and we've got our own little tab with all of our more than 600 y'all shows right there awaiting your free download. Go check it out when you get the opportunity. John Rawl, the general of all things Southern. That is my name, and great to have you back here for hour number two. Got a busy hour. We've got commentary about Joe Biden as he heads off to Maui today. All that plus the extreme heat that the South is undergoing Record temperatures over the weekend in North Texas. We'll tell you about that and what's going on in California with that tropical storm. All that in our headlines of the day. This hour, we also have our Southern History Spotlight. And I'm going to let you know about General Nathan Bedford Forrest and his raid on Memphis. That happened this day in history back in the Civil War. And it was quite a raid. Hardly anybody even got killed, I think, in that raid. But it was legendary what happened there with the Wizard of the Saddle there in Memphis on this day in history. Also, a couple of Southerners with birthdays. The late broadcaster Jack Buck with a birthday today. And also the late gambler himself, Kenny Rogers, born on this day. We'll let you know about that. Plus, a starlet in country music enjoying a birthday today, Casey Musgraves. All that is coming up as part of our Southern history and birthday fun in this second hour. And before the hour is up, we got to thank our reader who suggested hey you know what y'all show i like your show but my god you need to talk about dill pickles and you know what we're going to do that so later in the show we've got our southern recipe of the day courtesy of southern-bites.com it's a dill pickle recipe from a lady named carrie and i can't wait to give that to you that's coming up and megan headwall will be joining us here shortly she'll be on in hour number three to discuss something important with Dakota, Dakota dropping by alongside Megan, and they're going to talk about mental health and its importance. So we'll have that discussion, an important discussion coming in our final hour, plus a preview of the 2023 Texas A&M Aggies as the Ags are getting ready to start their 23 season in just a few days, trying to wipe out the horrible 2022 season. And Jimbo Fisher, he better get it done this year, or they're going to be some angry people there in the Lone Star State. And they're going to gig him if he doesn't get lots of wins this year. We've got thoughts of a former Aggie playmaker, Brandon Leone. He has come out with his own projection for Aggie football in 2023. All that, again, part of our tour of Aggieland in hour number three as Texas A&M is today's Spotlight School. So we got a busy show. We want you to be part of it. If you'd like to be involved with the Y'all Show, you can drop us an email M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com. That's the easiest way for you to reach us. But we also have a text line that you can pick up and text us at any time of day or night at 615-208-4184, 615-208-4184. Let's get into the news headlines of the day. And the big story is the nation and its weather. And we've got a tropical storm that has come up through Southern California in the last few hours. Tropical storm Hillary. And it's hitting an area that they're just not used to seeing. Tropical storms 
Some parts of California with over 10 inches of rain within the day thanks to this thing, and that's causing lots of problems. I bet you mudslides and more will be a recurring theme in California the next couple of days. This storm moving up into Nevada, touching Arizona, heading on up into the Pacific Northwest. It's a problem. We just had another natural disaster two weeks ago in the state of Hawaii. And today, President Joe Biden will be flying into Maui to visit the victims of the wildfires that hit that state two weeks ago. And as of today, there are still a thousand plus Hawaiians that are not accounted for after those wildfires hit that state. Specifically, most of western Maui is the area that was hit hardest by these wildfires. A thousand people still unaccounted for. And if you will bear with me for a moment, I'm going to go off script here, and I'm going to I'm going to bash the sitting commander in chief of the country because I had not seen this video until the weekend of Joe Biden dodging questions about the suffering in Hawaii. Now this is something that happened two weeks ago, and he's been at Camp David, he's been at Rehoboth Beach in Delaware, and he's been not exactly working his fanny off over these last two weeks. And separate of not physically going to Hawaii in two weeks, what's he really done to help out Hawaii? What's he come out and said free of charge? All he's got to do is have a a compassionate plea. Please, I'm sorry for your loss. Let's get together. If I were a Hawaiian, I would be so livid at the federal response from compassion to all the other things that the federal government has failed to do and even right on the ground within the state. But this is more of a federal issue. Hawaii was the last state admitted to this country back in 1959 or 60. I can't remember the exact year. I think it was 59. And if I were Hawaii, I'd be thinking about getting back out of the country at this point. I'd be thinking about becoming an independent country the way the federal government has botched what could be the loss of hundreds, if not over a thousand citizens of that state. They're not even helping out. I mean, the United States Navy has a humongous Pacific fleet one island away at Oahu, and they couldn't come over and greatly help out those people in Maui. Now, I might be missing something here, but from what all I've seen and the suffering and the absolute ignoring of the plea of these people is just completely un-American. I remember, and I hate to compare Trump to Biden, but I remember when Puerto Rico was hit. Trump caught so much grief because they felt like he didn't care about Puerto Rico. He went down there. He helped out. He helped out multiple times. Of course, they got a lot of corruption in Puerto Rico. I don't think Hawaii is corrupt, but they needed help. They needed help immediately, something that Washington, D.C. couldn't physically come and help, but they could They could send the Coast Guard. They could send, again, other military options over to help. I mean, we're talking 50 miles, maybe, was the 
at maximum distance that, that they could have brought help to. People had to go in the freaking Pacific Ocean to survive wildfires. They had to take their families into the water to escape wildfires. This is something you're just not used to seeing in America in 2023. Something out of this world, frankly. And after all that suffering and more, the, and, and I saw where the government has given survivors of these wildfires, I think, $700 per victim. And these are people who've lost everything. They've lost their house, their car, their job. And Uncle Sam says, huh, here's $700. And again, it's not only my gripe against the money. It's a lot of it, if not most of it, on the compassion. Where was the government and FEMA helping? Helping these people. I mean, whenever George W. Bush was in office, my God, they attacked him for Katrina. And why his guy there in Mobile one day, who was, I guess, the FEMA head, Michael, what was his last name? Michael somebody. He got into so much trouble because they attacked him for saying that everything was good when it was not. But he was only echoing what was being told to him. And Hawaii, which is about as democratic as democratic can be, has been completely forgotten about. It, it appears. Now, politics aside, President Biden visiting aside, you still got over a thousand people who are MIA in the Aloha state right now. That is just baffling. Are we going to see? A wildfire there take nearly a thousand people's lives if that's what it ends up being? I hope not. I pray that's not the case. But we're still way behind on tracking these missing people. And it's been two weeks. A true tragedy. And again, on the local level, they've already fired or not fired the guy resigned who was the local emergency official there in Maui for not having the sirens go off that could have helped out. And I remember in the early hours of this thing, it was the lieutenant governor of Hawaii that was out talking. Where was the governor? The governor of that state was nowhere to be seen, nationwide at least. Just a real mess. And it's not just a political mess. We're talking a thousand people, perhaps. Perhaps, I mean, it really is possible that a thousand people plus have died in wildfires just on this one island of the Aloha State. We wish them the best again. Joe Biden going there today, and something tells me he's going to learn a lesson from his ineptitude with Hawaii, and he will probably drop by California on his way back to Washington, D.C., where California is recovering now from these remnants of tropical storm hillary watch it i I bet you he he drops in for a quick visit in california as he's trying to make up for a complete whiff of what happened in hawaii the last couple of days other headlines across the southeast a florida library in the news because a drop box there at the library has severed a unsuspecting woman's fingertips so the lady trying to do the right thing, taking a book back. 
dropping it off in there, and wham! Beverly, or rather Barbara Haverly, returning a book in Mount Dora in Florida to the W.D. Bland Public Library, and she went to drop off this book here the last couple of days, and the book's uh, put in this box. The box's swinging metal door snapped back and trapped her finger, and now she's had part of her finger cut off. She's a good Floridian out reading books and dropping them back by the public library's drop box. And dadgummit, if the book thing doesn't uh, sever part of her fingertip. The library, I don't think, has a response right now, but evidently they were shocked that this woman loses part of her finger. Eesh. Ugly situation in Florida. Be careful when you return those books, y'all. So here's a story out of Oklahoma. A man in the capital city of Oklahoma City who stole an FBI agent's badge has now been sentenced to 11 years in federal prison. Don't go stealing FBI agents' badges. FBI agents, if you're listening, don't have your badges out there for a guy like Seth Grant to steal. Not only did he steal the FBI agent's badge, he then tried to impersonate a federal officer at a 7-Eleven and got busted. And again, he's been sentenced to 11 years in prison. That's a long time for a guy who didn't hurt anybody, just stole a, a thief and an impersonator, and he's got more than a decade sentence. And, and the Fed, y'all, if you have a few extra dollars to spend, you might have a property in Potomac, Maryland, calling your name. Dan Snyder, the former owner of the Washington Redskins of the NFL, has put his 30,000-square-foot Potomac, Maryland mansion up for sale, and he has dropped the price. Congratulations. He's dropped the price $14 million. The asking price for this five-bedroom estate on 15.2 acres can now be purchased for $35 million. It was $49 million, and he's already dropped at $14 mil. So $35 million sounds like a, a, a great bargain. If you look at where this thing's located right on the Potomac in this beautiful setting in Potomac, Maryland, four-story mansion, it's made out of French limestone, and it's gorgeous. For Dan Snyder, who bought the mansion in Potomac, Maryland, back in the year 2000, he bought it for just about $9 million. It was once owned by Jordan's King Hussein and Queen Noor. What in the world does the King of Jordan have owning a, a state just outside of Washington, D.C. like this? Well, he... He had it at one time, and now Snyder trying to make a few bucks off of this. $34 million is what he's asking. That's about a, what, $25 million profit in 20-something years. If he, can, if he can get it, I bet you there's some political person somewhere out there that's ripped people off for a long time that will be able to uh, plop down the money for that one. Beautiful place if you've got $34 mil. <laughs> All right, let's say you got extra money but not quite $34 million to buy that Potomac, Maryland house. You might want to be able to fund or might be able to fund your child if they're part of the University of Alabama's Greek system. 
There's this show on social media called Bama Rush that has highlighted what a sorority at Alabama is all about. And included in that is the OOTD, the outfit of the day. And a new TikTok account is totaling up just how expensive OOTDs are for a potential new member. That would be a person rushing to be in an Alabama sorority. And so the account on Twitter, Bama Rush Talk One, has detailed the outfit worn by a New Yorker who was trying to join a sorority at the Capstone. And this New Yorker, Bree McCurdy's outfit, totaled out to be, for one day, her outfit cost more than $22,000. I'm not kidding. She spent $300 on a skirt, $570 for tennis shoes. She spent $170 on a headband, and then she spent more than $20,000 in jewelry, including a $11,000 Rolex watch. And then she bought some earrings from Target or Target. <laughs> Over $20,000 trying to successfully get through bid day on the University of Alabama campus. That's a lot of money, y'all. That is a lot of money there to be part of a sorority of which you won't even know 50% of your members when you join. I know another SEC school is also having their rush, if you will. I think some of these schools have gotten away from that name because it's not politically correct. And these sororities used to have maybe 70, 80 members in a year. These days, they're getting close to 200 inductees into their sororities. So think about it. 200 per class, and there's four classes. That's nearly 1,000 girls in a sorority. You can't possibly know everybody there. I thought that was the whole point of the Greek system is to be a, a family. Hmm. A family that's an expensive family to be part of in, at least in Alabama's case, Roll Tide. And lastly, in our headlines across the southeast today, we'll take you to the Chattanooga area where Moon Pie, which is a great Chattanooga dessert, a great treat, frankly, the moon pies of the world. Moon pie has learned via social media that they have a little bit of competition coming in from another Chattanooga area sweet maker. As it looks like there's going to be a little Debbie banana marshmallow pie type thing coming out. And it looks like little Debbie is calling them out on social media as there's a marshmallow pie banana flavored Little Debbie and Moon Pie has tweeted at Little Debbie saying I'd like to speak to Deborah please it's pretty funny and people are noticing that there's an online fight going on between Moon Pie and Little Debbie over marshmallow pies now Moon pies are hard to beat. And as a guy who's a, a fan of the South's sweets, especially what Chattanooga offers with both Moon Pie and Little Debbie, whew, I can't wait to get my hands on a Little Debbie marshmallow pie. That's what they're called if you see them in the grocery store. 
and they got a banana flavored moon pie. Oh, I'm sorry, well, marshmallow pie now being served up by Little Debbie Snack Cakes. And moon pie ain't holding back. It's on their official account. They're calling out Little Debbie saying, I'd like to speak to Deborah, please, about this. So some competition. I don't think these companies are owned by the same giant behemoth. I think they are competitors. So Little Debbie describes their product as two cookies with a layer of marshmallow and coated in banana-flavored icing. And you can go check it out when you get a chance, just like I can't wait to do. In fact, I think I'm going to take off right now and check out either a moon pie or a marshmallow pie from Little Debbie. Hey, can't we all just get along? I think so. That wraps up our news headlines for our number two of today's Y'all Show. When we come back, we've got our Southern History Spotlight today. We'll tell you about the Nat Turner Raid in history, as well as Nathan Bedford Forrest Raid on Memphis happened this day in history. All that plus some Southern birthdays as we continue on. talk a little southern history for a few and we've got megan back with us i'm back hello how was your weekend it was good not long enough <laughs> but hot enough for you yeah definitely hot enough yeah how about that how about the uh crazy weather we're having across the country i know it's oh it's something else i tell you it's something else of course that's the way it goes here in the good old us of a these days let's tell you a little bit about history here in this segment and then megan's going to welcome in dakota later in the show to talk about mental health a yes. very important subject absolutely all right so we're excited about that but let's first talk a little history before we're going to talk about dill pickles Ooh. you like dill pickles I love them. all right well you're going to be in luck in our next segment but that's next segment right now we're going to talk about nat turner's slave rebellion rebellion that happened this week in history in 1831 in southampton county virginia and it happened by nat turner and his rebels killed between 55 and 65 white people there in virginia it is the deadliest slave revolt in american history 
and it was suppressed within a few days at Belmont Plantation in Virginia, the Nat Turner Rebellion. Have you ever heard of this thing? Yes, I think I have. Yeah, and as a result of this 1830s rebellion there in Southampton County, Virginia, that led to a huge fear among the white population around the entire country. You started to see militias form. And in a lot of a lot of places around the South in the pre-Civil War days, the slave population outnumbered the white population. Mm-hmm. So if you were a white person living in a place where slaves, you feared that these slaves would become angry, grab weapons, and your butt's history. Yeah. They would rebel, and they tried to there with Nat Turner in Virginia in the 1830s. After this thing happened there were trials and the commonwealth of virginia executed 56 enslaved people accused of participating in this rebellion included in that was nat turner and this slave revolt of the 1830s and it happened this week in history in southampton county virginia which that is a county right on the north carolina border in eastern north carolina that's county seat is Cortland, virginia and uh, just uh, an ugly chapter of America's slavery history with that rebellion there. There was also around the same time period a revolt along the German coast, which was north of New Orleans, where there was a slave revolt there that they tried to come into New Orleans and have a revolt. That was stopped. And then Denmark Vesey in South Carolina was going to have a revolt in Charleston, and that one, somebody leaked that out, and that ended up being uh, silenced but it was a scary time in the south for if you were a white person at least and for a lot of the the slaves it was a time where they thought this was their only way to get past slavery was revolting and in nat turner's case they darn near nearly pulled it off at least for a few days they had their freedom until they were ultimately all captured and more than 50 of them were executed by the commonwealth of virginia back in the 1830s now, pushing forward a few years to the 1860s during the Civil War, it was this week in history that an outfit of Missouri Confederate soldiers under the direction of Quantrill, they raided Lawrence, Kansas. The Lawrence Massacre is what it's known, also known as Quantrill's Raid. And this whole time period, even leading up before the Civil War started, was an ugly chapter between Kansas and Missouri. Those two states still don't get along too well. (laughs) And even on the sports athletic fields, Kansas, the Jayhawks, and the Missouri Tigers are rivals. But it was this week in history that the Lawrence Massacre, as it's called often, happened August of 1863. There were 164 deaths when forces under Quantrill went into Lawrence, Kansas, and had this battle, if you will, and a lot of civilians killed. Quantrill considered a guerrilla fighter for the Confederacy, and he fought in that Missouri and in Kansas area. He was a Kentuckian, actually born or, or spent most of his adult life in the Louisville area and died in Louisville at just after the Civil War in 1865, but his forces going over into Missouri and creating havoc in this time period, of course, if you follow Civil War history, it was a lot of Kansas troops that came into Missouri and caused a lot of grief and a lot of suffering in that portion of 
Missouri, and, and then if you follow history at all, you know also what the Kansas troops did during the war in states like Mississippi. They burnt a lot of courthouses and burnt down a lot of towns. The Missouri, or rather the Kansas troops, specifically in the war between the states. Lawrence Massacre happened this week in 1863. Now, a little bit more colorful raid in Civil War history happened a year later. In August of 1864, August 21st, the 2nd Battle of Memphis is what it's called, but it was really a raid, and it was a raid led by Nathan Bedford Forrest on Memphis, Tennessee, and it involved his troops as well as the leader of the Union troops in Memphis at that time, a guy named Cod, Codwallader Washburn. Washburn. And uh, it was a, uh, a battle there that happened in Memphis in 1864. Memphis was essentially taken over early in the war by Union troops without really a, a, a fight. The gunboats were out on the river, and Memphis said, okay, we're going to surrender. So there really wasn't a big battle for Memphis isn't that the battle where Nathan Bedford Forrest, they only had one like ship that they had overtaken, and they kept running it up and down, making the Union think that, that they was, had a whole fleet? That was a, another battle. That was that would have been... Fort Pillow? No, that, wouldn't have, that was another one. That was another one. I think the one you're referencing was the one on the Tennessee River. Yes, that's right. Jonesboro. You're right. The, the battle... I'm sorry, Johnsonville. 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 Okay. And there's a Nathan Bedford Forest State Park right where that happened. Okay. Ignore me. Never mind. But an <laughs> unbelievable story there where yeah. cavalry troops, those are the guys who fight on horses, ended up taking over a ship and, yeah. and causing havoc for the Union forces. This was a completely different battle. This was in Memphis and... These Confederate troops came up from Oxford, Mississippi, is where they were based. They came up, went up through northwest Mississippi and raided the Union forces in Memphis and caused a lot of problems. But the some of the craziness of this thing involved General Washburn, the Union commander himself. Have you ever heard? Have you ever been in Memphis and you've seen Washburn's Escape Alley? Have no, you ever seen that, I sign? seen that sign? It's near Rendezvous, okay. the famous rib place. Right outside of there, it says Washburn's Escape Alley. Huh. That's where the Gayoso Hotel was, I think, in, in that time period in history. And that's where the Gayo, the, the hotel there that Washburn was staying in. And Forrest and his forces raided that hotel during their assault on Memphis. And General Forrest went through that hotel hmm. on horseback. <laughs> He went through that horse, the hotel looking for General Codwallader Washburn, and he ended up escaping in a nightshirt after a Confederate soldier from the 15th Tennessee Cavalry captured his horse. So he did escape, but he only escaped in his uh, pajamas, if you will. <laughs> and so Forrest was able to capture General Washburn's uniform and a neat story of the Civil War. If there's neat stories, we like to tell you about them. So General Washburn wanted his very nice general's uniform back. And so he and General Forrest did a trade. Washburn said, if you'll give me my uniform back, I'll get the finest tailor in Memphis to make you, Nathan Bedford Forrest, your own general's coat. And that's what they did. They, they traded, they traded uh, and, and there's a very beautiful picture of Nathan Bedford Forrest's uniform taken in the war that it's, it's immaculate. I, thought, I think the Confederates had better looking uniforms. 
and certainly this one was beautiful that Forrest had on in that photo taken in the war. But just a, an unbelievable story of, of a story of a war that had unbelievable stories throughout. But yes, the ended up the result of this raid on Memphis, not a lot of loss of life, but the Confederates when they raided surprised the Yankees in Memphis, and they ended up taking around 500 prisoners back across into Mississippi. And they also got a lot of supplies and horses, things that they desperately needed at this point in the war to stay relevant. And um, just a crazy story between General Washburn of the North and General Forrest of the South. And that happened in Memphis on this day in history in 1864. Elsewhere in our stories of the South and people celebrating birthdays and more, Jack Buck, the great broadcaster, was born August 21st of 1924 so he would have been 99 years old today jack buck passed away back in 2002 but i know that we've got a lot of st louis cardinals fans around the southeast and more and of course he was a longtime cardinals broadcaster a massachusetts born john francis buck jack buck whose son is now joe buck who's on fox i guess he's on he might have moved over he did Jack Buck is on another network, maybe ESPN. I can't keep track. He and Troy Aikman do a lot of the NFL games. But the great broadcaster, Jack Buck, born this week in history in 1924. How about the gambler? Kenny Rogers, born August 21st, 1938. And I hate this. Kenny passed away right in the middle of COVID, March of 2020. And his death really wasn't covered very much at all. But Kenneth Ray Rogers, born in Houston, the Gambler. You got a favorite Kenny Rogers song? I don't. Okay. Lucille has to be one. my sentiment, yeah. sentimental favorite. But I love all his songs. He's a <laughs> cool guy there. Kenny Rogers. We lost him in 2020 again. He was 81 when he passed away in Sandy Springs, Georgia. And lastly, a lady that is a talented Texan in her own right, Casey Musgraves, born on this date in 1988 in Golden, Texas. And Golden, Texas is just outside of Tyler. In fact, that's just down the road from Lindale, Texas. Do you happen to know who is a native of Lindale, Texas? Who, who is Five it? miles away from Golden. Who is it? A lady named Miranda Lambert. Miranda Lambert. So Miranda and Casey are essentially neighbors. <laughs> and Casey Musgraves, who turns 35 today, you got a favorite Casey Musgraves song? I don't. Oh, she's good. She, she is good. I'm going to try to like play. I like music. I'm going to try to play a song going into break from Casey Musgraves. Biscuits is what I'm trying to cue up here. You ever heard that song? I don't think I've heard that one by her. Yeah, it's good. It's funny. And it's perfect for a show about the South. But (laughs) Casey, again, I don't think she's been given the proper attention in country radio, at least. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's had some unbelievable songs that just don't get a lot of airplay. Now, she's a little bit on the liberal side. Yeah, that's probably part of it. That that may have something to do with it. But, boy, she's so... She's so talented, and she's... Leave the politics out of it. Just play your music. She's kind of cute, too. (laughs) But anyway, her birthday today at age 35, Casey Musgraves. And that's a look at some of our country music news with Kenny Rogers and Casey both sharing birthdays today and some of our Civil War history. Hopefully, we didn't bore too many people. Hopefully not. (laughs) We're not going to bore you when we come back from this break. We're going to talk about dill pickles. It's John and Megan on the Y'all Show. Talk with a southern accent and talk about biscuits. Take it away, mate. Casey Musgraves. They don't say nothing at all. 
playing that song because we're about to talk about pickles and you like pickles dill pickles pickles. yeah have you always loved dill pickles yeah you know what they say dill pickles and the affection for them means don't you no clue but i know you're gonna tell me what is it that you're pregnant nope definitely not (laughs) (laughs) how do we know just kidding uh yeah that's supposedly one of the signs if you are craving dill pickles so they say pickles and ice cream I haven't heard about ice cream. Yeah, you got the weird cravings. I tell you, if I were pregnant, I would be craving ice cream. (laughs) Okay. I'm just. Do you self-identify? I self-identify as an ice cream loving pregnant person. (laughs) I'm a person. Person, yeah, can't be a woman. That's right. (laughs) So yeah, dill pickles. That's kind of a hot thing across the southeast. Yeah. So are you the kind of lady that would stop by a gas station and go in there and order a jar of pickles and eat them going down the highway? think i would do you wouldn't that. do that no. so when do you eat dill pickles just whenever i pick them up from the store i take them home and eat them i don't eat but them do you have car. multiple ones at a time no you just, don't yeah no. okay because to me i don't i like dill pickles but i don't crave dill pickles oh partly because yeah. i'm not pregnant but the <laughs> other thing is i love them with a good like sandwich yeah oh i like putting them on a sandwich well i, I like them there but like let's say who is your uh subway does it give you a dill pickle what are some of your national sandwich chains that always give you a pickle uh, maybe jersey mike's yeah maybe um i'm having a blank on some there, there are some chains that make an effort to give you a dill pa- pickle. panera panera gives you a pickle yeah okay they'll give you a pickle all right well some chains don't i get i'm gonna pick on the pickle non-pickle people do better Yes, not me. Me? No, or no, them. 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 Okay, Do right. better. Yes, yes, because <laughs> a, a, a good pickle on a, a sandwich on the side, you know, when they give you the chips and the yeah. pickle, yeah. is it's hard to beat. But dill pickles are loved by so many people. So we have a website called southern-bites, B-Y-T-E-S, southern-bites.com. Thanks to an author named Carrie, she has put up an article that's all about making dill pickles. And we're going to tell you that this is a good article for people like megan to check out because according to carrie 
dill pickles are salty, crunchy, sour, and perfectly delicious. Would you agree with all that? Absolutely. This lady, Carrie, says she adds them to nearly everything, and she snacks on them all the time. I guess she's pregnant. These quick pickles are so easy to make and are her favorite snack to have in the fridge. So some quick and easy dill pickles, thanks to Carrie and this website, southern-bites.com. So according to Carrie, and she's got pictures which I love this when you come bring up your recipe talking more on the y'all show. She's got photos of all of her ingredients right there in one beautiful picture. The ingredients include onions, garlic, water. You got to have cucumbers when you make dill pickles. Did you know that? Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) You also have to have dill, mustard, and coriander seeds, kosher salt, sugar, and white vinegar. Those are the ingredients that you need to have for making dill pickles. And then as far as the equipment needed, a large pot or Dutch oven, a food processor, a heat-safe bowl, and some mason jars. You got any of those hidden away at your house? Yes, I do. You do? Yeah. All right, then you need to help make these things. You need to make them by putting them in a stove, combine the vinegar, salt, mustard seeds, and more. And then, again, she's got photos for all this stuff, so I'm having to sift through a bunch of pictures here at southern-bites.com. That's not often what you find when you start talking about recipes. But this uh, recipe yields two quart-sized mason jars filled with pickles when you get done making it. And it's a very, very easy, simple recipe for dill pickles that you can find at southern-bites.com. Refrigerator dill pickles is what you search for. And it says, how do you keep pickles from getting soggy? Do you do you like soggy dill pickles? No, I like the crunch. Okay. This lady, Carrie, says, I like to put sliced cucumbers in a colander or metal strainer over a bowl and coat them with kosher salt. Let them sit for about 30 minutes, and it will draw the moisture out of the cucumbers. Hmm. That's a way to keep them from getting soggy. Or a question comes in, are these pickles shelf-stable? Do you know what that means? I don't. You can store them on a shelf. They don't have to be refrigerated. Okay. It says, these pickles are not shelf-stable. They should be stored in the fridge at all times. Yeah. So, they can't. You can't just put them in the cupboard. Like, you know, you buy the pickles from the store, and you can leave them in your cupboard. But once they're open, put them in the fridge. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Martha Stewart. How do you can pickles? Have you ever done any canning? Because this is this is an important question. If you haven't done this, you're going to have to go find another show to be on. Have you ever canned? I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't canned either. In order to safely can pickles, you need to follow a tested recipe. And this lady, Carrie, has got a recipe for canning. I guess there's a couple extra steps when you get into the canning process. Do you know anybody that cans? Yeah, my mom cans. Your mom cans? Yeah. What does she can? She'll do like different. She'll do pickles sometimes. Maybe or, your mom needs to come do this show. <laughs> yeah, maybe she could take them for both of us. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean it's a, it's an ordeal. So, do you benefit from your mom's canning? Oh, thr- yeah. throughout the year. Oh yeah. Does she can tomatoes? Um, she has before, not recently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a question comes in to Carrie here at Southern Bites.com. What kind of cucumbers make the best pickles? And the answer from Carrie is, I like to use Kirby cucumbers. They are smaller and seem to absorb pickle flavors the best. Hmm. Just what she thinks there. 
at this website all about Southern cooking, southern-bytes.com. And the recipe up that you can check out from Carrie is all about how to make dill pickles. And put them in your refrigerator. Don't leave them out on the counter. Yeah. You'd think, though, with some of that vinegar and more, they might be able to stand yeah. being out on the shelf. Yeah. But evidently not. <laughs> but uh, now I've made you hungry for dill pickles. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and is there any other news you want to tell us? I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> She's Megan. That's why we love her. And we love doing this y'all show and pickles. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go find me a place with dill pickles today. McAllister's. That's who I'm trying to think of. Okay. McAllister's always has a, a delicious dill pickle with their usually That's very good sweet tea. Hmm. They have a good tea, and they got really good cookies. And, Megan, I know you've always wanted to know, if you are nice and ask at McAllister's Deli, tell them to warm up that big cookie they have there, Ooh. and that makes all the difference. Tastes like diabetes. It's okay. It's okay. I mean, I'm I'm balancing the cookie with my delicious dill pickle. That's safe, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Thank, thanks, <laughs> Megan. Sure. Ruining, ruining my whole Always. show Always. here. Our whole feature on dill pickles, for goodness sakes. we got another hour. we got Dakota stopping by to talk about mental health. All that ahead on the Y'all Show Hour 3. Final hour of this Monday show about the South alongside Megan Headwall, John Rawl here on this very active final hour of our program about Dixie. If you'd like to get involved, you can email us at mail at yall.com. You can also email us, or that is, uh, did I just say email? Yeah, I, I get course. confused when you're here. Mail, <laughs> mail at y'all.com, and then you can text us at 615 615- 208-4184. The true sign of a genius is when they realize they might have messed up and they correct themselves. So you're saying I'm a genius? Yes, I am. All right, thank you. Hey, we got a busy third hour here, Megan. Not only are you and I going to go through a few of the headlines, but we got a very special guest joining us today, and that's Dakota Harmon, and she's going to come on and discuss mental health. Yes, it should be good. And and hopefully her team will have her here in time, and we'll t- <laughs> yeah. she's already here. I'm just picking. <laughs> So I'm excited to talk about an important subject. You know, we like to have fun and and talk about the South, but we got severe mental health issues in the entire world, and right here in the South, especially. Yeah, we're no exception. Yeah. So Dakota is going to be on in the next segment to talk about that, and a very important segment that we'll have. And then Texas A&M fans need to be listening close to that second segment today, because in our third segment of the show today, we're going to talk about the Aggies and their 2023 football season. You didn't keep up with A&M football last year, did you, Megan? No. They had a horrible season. Uh Uh-oh. And they needed help, mentally probably, (laughs) because they have spent nearly $100 million on their head football coach, Jimbo Fisher. And last year, I think they won four games, maybe five. They did win their finale against LSU, to their credit. But A&M football, we're going to spotlight the Aggies in our last segment today as we're on a tour across the southeast, and we're 
today is spotlighting the A&M Aggies in Aggieland. And on our Tuesday Y'all Show, it's all about the Clemson Tigers. On Wednesday, we'll be spotlighting the Oklahoma Sooners. All of this sounds good to you? Yeah. Okay, Thursday, we have our spotlight school will be the University of Mississippi. And then on Friday, it's all about the Vanderbilt Commodores. Vanderbilt actually has a football game Saturday. Mm. Hawaii comes to Nashville for a game this weekend. Wow. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you going to be there? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Megan. So anyway, that's a look at what we got coming up here in this hour of the program all about the Southeast. Let's get into some of our news headlines of the day. And the big story nationwide is the weather. You got mm-hmm. Tropical Storm Hillary. What a name. Yeah. You know what they said about Tropical Storm Hillary is uh, all the deaths from that storm, uh, they're going to be ruled as suicides. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, she's got jokes here. I got jokes. So that's going on. Um, we hope we don't have any deaths. I haven't heard of any thus far. Not yet. But, but you know, it's a ba- major event in an area like Southern California that's not used to getting 10-plus inches of rain. Yeah. I mean, that's desert country, correct? Yes, it is. And they say they're not even used to like getting a half inch of rain yeah. in some cases in a, like a six-month period. Yeah. I don't think I'd live there. Uh, not Yeah, not just because of the weather, but everything else. Maybe it can wipe California off the map. Oh, come on now. It's a great place. <laughs> Okay. okay, and she lived there, so that's <laughs> why she said she's being, a little, she's being a little harsh. <laughs> okay, well, I'll tell you what. It may not be desert in North Texas, but it sure feels like the desert. This past weekend in Dallas and Fort Worth, they had 110 record highs. Oof. Were you watching the temperature gauge where you were this weekend? No, I wasn't, but I could feel it. You could feel it? Rising. Well, it's going to be in most of the south in the 90s today, triple digits in some cases. As the National Weather Service this week already with excessive heat warnings for many of our southern states essentially everything from alabama to texas is going to be scorching over the next few days and temperatures in new orleans getting 100 degrees in a place that's already muggy and awful (laughs) temp wise this time of year just be careful out there everybody some political news president trump announcing over the weekend he's going to skip this debate wednesday in milwaukee yeah on wednesdays y'all show megan and i are going to actually break down the republican primary debate which is wednesday in milwaukee wisconsin Mm -hmm. and we're going to go through who we expect to come out on top the latest polling out of the emerson college study shows that vivek ramaswamy and ron DeSantis are tied at a 10 percent polling number Mm -hmm. so this guy really has surprised a lot of people who's never been elected to political office and he's right now tied with a guy who's a mr politician mr ron desantis governor of florida and we'll find out just how well he does in a debate setting come tuesday or rather wednesday and megan and i on wednesday's y'all show are going to break down that debate from milwaukee wisconsin wisconsin yeah ready for that also in our news headlines across the southeast A respiratory therapist out of the Show Me State of Missouri has pleaded guilty in the deaths of two hospital patients and has now been sentenced to 18 years in prison. Jennifer Hall, charged with two counts of first-degree murder, but pleaded guilty in April to reduced first-degree involuntary manslaughter in the deaths of a 75-year-old and a 37-year-old. Both of those, I believe, were men in the care of her. And she's also 
pleaded guilty to one count of attempted second-degree assault. But another case of a health care worker, this doesn't happen all the time, thank God, but we've got some really evil health care workers in our country that hurt patients and kill patients yeah. in this lady's case. This respiratory therapist, the respiratory therapist in Missouri, now sentenced with these patient deaths. So please be advised. I know there's a lot of people who have concerns about elder abuse. Mm-hmm. There are lawyers who specialize in elder abuse, and if you have a loved one that you suspect may have been abused in a nursing home or even coming to in-home care, don't be afraid to call up. Yeah, and, speak and, up and speak up because. This stuff does happen. I just read a headline. It does happen here, sadly, in the country. In our other headlines across the southeast today, we'll let you know about, did you hear about the lady who had part of her finger cut off by returning her library book? No. Yes, this happened at the W.T. Bland Public Library in Mount Dora in Florida. Barbara Haverly returning her book, just being a good citizen. And she went to go return it into the library drop box. Mm-hmm. And the darn thing caught her finger in there. And she's had to have part of her finger cut off. Oh, my gosh. So it makes me not want to read books anymore. Stay away from the libraries. Yes. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> she said it. I no, agree. No. Go read books. Yes, Don't do that. <laughs> I completely agree with Megan here on the Y'all Show. All right, Megan, I know you've got plenty of money to go around. How would you like to have a house, a beautiful mansion right on the Potomac River in the washington dc area how about a four-story mansion made out of french limestone it's beautiful i'm sure it is but i wouldn't want to live there it's on 15.2 acres of land and it could be yours for only i think it's 30 it's been reduced it was 49 million dollars and now i think it's 35 mil oh that's a steal that's what this will uh, set you back it's located near george washington's mount vernon over on the virginia side this house is in potomac maryland and it was it, it is owned by the guy that just sold the NFL team in Washington D.C. The former Redskins owner Dan Snyder, now selling his estate there for about thirty-five million. It's got sixteen thousand square feet of space. Is that enough for you? Yeah, seems a little small. Oh come on! <laughs> Snyder bought this thing back in two thousand for eight point six million dollars. He bought it from the a state of Jordan's King Hussein and Queen Noor. Hmm. Now, why in the world do they have a $8.6 million estate in Washington, D.C.? No clue. When they're the king of Jordan. By the way, his wife is American, Queen Noor. Hmm. Did you know that? No, I did not. So you could be a queen. You could be a real queen. You just need to marry somebody from a place like Jordan. <laughs> You're already a queen in my <laughs> my the queen of the double-wide trailer. <laughs> Megan Headwall. Getting promoted. Yeah, yeah. All right, other headlines across the southeast today, and part of our headlines include include that, uh, have you wanted to be a sorority girl? No, never. Never? Well, if you want to be a sorority girl at the University of Alabama, it may cost you over $20,000 to be part of Rush. There's this social media series called Bama Rush, Mm. and now there's even a TikTok account that is chronicling all of the expenses of Rush and there is a young lady who's a New Yorker named Bree McCurdy rushing right now at the University of Alabama. And get this, her outfit for one day, her OOTD, that mm-hmm. acronym mean anything to you? Outfit of the day. Yeah, OOTD. Good job. Her, oh, yeah, good job, Megan. <laughs> See, what are you rushing for? Mm-hmm. Um, her outfit, OOTD, 
totaled $22,600. Why? And then that, well, why? Because she spent $300 on a skirt. Is that a good good bargain? No. Is that a good price? She spent $300 on a skirt. She spent $570 on tennis shoes. What kind of tennis shoes cost 570 these days? There's plenty out there. Okay. All right. She must have got the Air Jordans. Must have. She got uh, $170 on a headband. I didn't even know headbands were in style again. <laughs> Are they? Apparently. We forgot to mention that yeah. last week's segment. But here's the kicker. She spent $20,000 in what? On what? In what? Come on. You're a woman, I think. Well, I am. What a would a woman, woman spend $20,000 on? I have no Fashion-wise. Jewelry. Jewelry. Yeah. $20,000 included in that an $11,200 Rolex watch. She mm. did get her earrings at Target. So <laughs> That's probably one, the cheapest thing on her. <laughs> this one Alabama freshman again rushing to be part of a sorority there spending over twenty thousand dollars well at least she's supporting the economy if you think so <laughs> and in our last headline of the hour here on the y'all show we've got some weird town names thanks to wkrn in nashville they've come up with some of the weirdest town names in the state of tennessee are you ready for this i'm ready all right so how about nameless you ever heard of nameless tennessee no that's in Jackson County. I think that's in East Tennessee. East. I think, think so. I've never been to Jackson County that I'm aware of, but it's uh, called Nameless, mm. Nameless Tennessee. Perfect name for a place in Tennessee. Also, you've got Nutbush. You ever heard of that? I've heard of Nutbush. That is the home of one Tina Turner, and that is yep. in Haywood County, and that's a weird name according to WKRN. How about Yum Yum? Nope, never heard of that. Yum is Yum. in some near Somerville and also in West Tennessee in Fayette County. Hmm. It's an unincorporated community called Yum Yum. According to this website, rumors has it that a store owner named John S. Garnett, rumors has it that Garnett's friend suggested the name Yum Yum after being inspired by a brand of candy that was sold at that store, Yum Yum, Hmm. which I think Goo Goo may have had a product named Yum Yum. I'm not sure. I wasn't around in 1887 when this community got going. Yum Yum, Tennessee. You know, you're making it very difficult on me, Megan. What? Well, that's the name of a town in Tennessee. Difficult. It's in Smith County. And it opened in 1866. Difficult, Tennessee. How about Sweet Lips? You heard of that one? I've heard of Sweet Lips. Sweet Lips is in Chester County in West Tennessee. And it's named after Colonel... Robert Chester, a quartermaster in the War of 1812. That's what the Chester County is named after. And where in the world do they come up with the name Sweet Lips? Okay, here we go. The small legend has that in Sweet Town, the community got its name after a passerby drank from a nearby creek. Or maybe it's Crick, crick. in Chester County. Uh, a passerby drank from that creek and was overheard saying, It's sweet to my lips. And that's how it got its and name. And that's how it got its name. Okay. Sweet Lips. Do you like guys? Guys, Tennessee? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. You're right, guys. Do you like guys? I do. Okay, all right. Well, Guys, Tennessee is is in McNary County. Yep. And uh, population 391, in case you're wondering. It's right near Shiloh Military Park. And I don't know how it's got its name, but at one time there were a lot of guys fighting at the Battle of Shiloh. So maybe, maybe that's... that's- where it got its name from, Guys, Tennessee. And then there's a lot of colorful names in West Tennessee. I'm going to tell you about one in a second. But i got to tell you about another technically West Tennessee town that I've not heard of. 
This is north of Memphis, Nankapoo. That sounds like something out of Michigan. You're 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 part of the world, Nankapoo. Never heard of it. And uh, that's uh, inspired by a character's name of an unknown place, supposedly. And then our last town. I guess they ran out of boring names when they started making West Tennessee towns. They started using some colorful names. Finger, Tennessee, or as they say locally, Fanger. Fanger. F spelled F-I-N-G-E-R, pronounced Fanger. Fanger. And that's in McNary County, sandwiched between Selmer and Henderson, Tennessee, is where you'll find Fanger, Tennessee. And it is the home of the annual Fanger Barbecue, if you get a chance to go to this West Tennessee town. And then there are others. You just need to go to WKRN and check out their website for the weirdest town names in Tennessee. Every state's got them, but WKRN out of Nashville has taken the time to spotlight the volunteer state's weird ones. You know which one I don't get? You know Mickey? Yes. But it's spelled Mitchy. Yeah. I didn't learn that until, and I had worked in Mickey for several years. It probably was like two, three years ago I realized I was saying it wrong. The entire time. I don't understand Knoxville. Why is it Knoxville? Knoxville. It should be. It's got a K in front of it, right? Right. All right, we're going to take a break here on the Y'all Show after talking town names and stuff of Tennessee. It's time to get serious as we have Dakota Harmon stopping by here. She's going to discuss the importance of mental health. We'll have that, and then before the hour's up, we've got a discussion all about the Texas A&M Aggies as they get ready to redeem themselves in 2023 all that ahead on the show that shakes the southland so we've been talking about songs and i don't have a song to play because we've been at a uh, impasse here we're back here on the y'all show with megan and now we've got a special guest joining us here at the program all about the south as we have dakota Harmon coming on to discuss mental health and Dakota, it is great to see you. If you haven't seen Dakota before, I was blown away by you, Dakota. I have never met a lady who is as tall, if not taller, than me. You're 6'4". I am a rarity. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. You know, that's one thing we don't control is our height. Yeah. Sorry, if you want to join our club, Megan, you're out of luck. I, can I self-identify as 6'4"? You can. <laughs> oh, okay. Is there an advantage of being a 6'4 <laughs> lady? I think there's plenty of advantages. Okay, tell me, like, like, like. Um, I can reach things off the top shelf, for one, yeah. I'm very helpful in that aspect, especially at work. Okay. Yeah, that could be a disadvantage. I mean, I used to have to go change (laughs) light bulbs and clocks and all that kind of fun stuff as a guy. 6'4", but as a woman 6'4", I've never experienced that. She's strong and independent. I was going to say, I also another advantage is that I also intimidate a lot of men, which (laughs) I like. You're not intimidating me at all. That's because you guys are matched in height. We're equal. So tell me about, are you tired of hearing, oh, I bet you're good at basketball? Uh, not really. She is good at basketball. She? she beats me in horse every time we play. Ah. I'm okay. Right? She's good. No, I'm not. I'm six. Have you ever dunked a basketball? I have not. Have you tried? I have tried, yes. <laughs> I've tried. I've never dunked one either, so we, we have that in common. Have you? Oh, yeah, I, I try all the time at 5'5". <laughs> five, five. It's not working out for me, though. <laughs> Well, we're glad that you're here, Dakota, despite uh, all of Megan's rubbing about your height. Uh, we're, we're glad you're here. Uh, it's an important subject you bring. This is not a, any kind of mental health awareness month, is it? I don't believe so. There, there is a month devoted to that during the I'm year. I'm sure there is. I'm yeah, there is. I can't remember what year. Usually, I think they have like a teal color that yeah. a lot of uh, businesses support with mental health awareness. But Megan brought this idea of bringing you on, so 
we're glad to have you here. What's your background? What led you to get into working with the mental health industry? I actually originally wanted to go into psychology, but the only um, graduate programs that my school, Lindsay Wilson College, was offering was counseling and um, another one like management or business management or something like that. I don't remember. It was a pretty small school, but so I chose to do counseling. And that college is in? Columbia, Kentucky. Columbia, Kentucky. Where is that? It's South Central Kentucky, about an hour away from Bowling Green. Okay. Which direction from Bowling Green? It's south of Bowling Green, I believe. Well, I could would, be wrong. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, I'm, I've heard of Columbia. I've just never, I don't think I've ever been there. But it, I, I'm sure it's a beautiful place. It's, it's only, it, yeah, it's nice. It's only on the map because of Lindsey Wilson College, but it is really nice. Oh, because of you. Let's just be honest. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, Dakota put it on the map. So you uh, went to school there and, and studied this. And, and working in the business now, I mean, do you have personal connections to people who've had mental health struggles? Definitely. Yeah, I take on clients still to this day. I actually just got hired on at um, Revelation of Hope Counseling, so I'll be starting that whenever my Tennessee license gets okay. in here. And so this is an important thing that so many people around the whole world, frankly, and especially here in the South, mm-hmm. deal with mental illness. And uh, unfortunately, it can be a very horrible and deadly thing if not, not treated. Yeah. One of the things that Dakota and I have been kind of talking about recently is, and we talked about this on the Y'all Show, things that help or are meant to help but aren't beneficial. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I brought up was social media. So I've been talking to Dakota about the correlation, like the role social media plays in our mental health. Um, just because now, you know, everyone's on TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and all this. And it can be a good thing staying connected, but it can also be very detrimental at yeah. times. Yeah, for sure. So some of the things that come from that. Right. Um, So I was actually talking to one of my friends about an advantage of social media and mental health. We're more connected than ever. Where, you know, your friend has a baby and you weren't aware of it, but now you are because... Yeah, but then is that a bad friend because they didn't tell you? Well, I mean, (laughs) maybe not a friend, maybe an acquaintance. (laughs) Right. You know, someone that you went to middle school with that you're friends with. Okay. Um, But yeah, there's several disadvantages to comparing... Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're online, spend it feeling like you have to spend twenty two thousand dollars on an outfit uh, just for. I think she needs to call you. <laughs> that, that lady. <laughs> that that freshman. If you have the money and you want to, you know, that's how you want to spend it, and that's helping your mental health by all means. But I personally cannot relate to that. But that's and that's kind of to my point. It's really about relating to yourself rather than other people, and I think that's the where the toxicity of mental health and social media comes from we're so busy comparing ourselves to other rather than exploring ourselves and wanting to venture out and learn more about ourselves rather than just wanting to be like other people and um mimic other people and and we're taken out of ourselves if that makes sense yeah do you think that trying to be connected on social media actually leads to more isolation or self-isolation than actually being connected i think it can i mean you know i work at rock and dough as well sometimes and you see these little kids come in with ipads yeah and they're completely disconnected but then you look at their parents and the parents are on the phone and not having any conversation at all so i think growing up into that i'm i'm kind of scared to see what that looks like in a few years like the emotional intelligence of these kids where they're not being paid attention to and 
and and that can be that's a worry of mine for well, sure what do you think about these parents who buy their young kids like phones and ipads and then just to kind of shut them up you're like here just stare at the screen instead of actually dealing with and helping them process through that it's unfortunate i think that kids need a lot of in- atten- attention and that kind of sucks for them yeah we're visiting with dakota Harmon today talking about the importance of mental health and what people need to do what do you tell people if they are considering talking to someone like you what what is your advice go for it if you feel like you need the help there's no shame in and finding a therapist that works for you and if you don't have anybody else to talk to again in this day and age it can be kind of hard to to talk to people to really have a conversation with someone who's willing to listen to the hard stuff and therapists are trained to do that so why not now one thing we love to spotlight here on the y'all show is history and I, I, I think this is a fair statement we have had people with mental health issues throughout all of history correct this is Definitely. not like something that just popped up in the last 20 years right but we now know how there are people like you out here dakota that are readily available to help and so why not take advantage of of the dakotas of the world and, and get help it's no shame in having a mental illness is the way we were maybe born but you can do something about it yes absolutely why do you think people are nervous to go and seek help or they what's that like kind of barrier that's preventing them from doing it i think a lot of people have trouble being vulnerable um you know we see it in men especially i don't want to call anybody out but we see it in men a lot where they're just raised to be tough you know you're not supposed to cry you're not supposed to show emotion you're supposed to be the protector and the dominant force but that's just not always the case and men have emotions too and it's really unfortunate that we live in a world where they can't open up about their feelings and it leads to more toxicity and built up emotion and that is not typically taken out in the best manner and as a guy i can tell you this is a a thing now you know guys historically throughout time have been the guys out there fighting and and being the leaders if you will and in today's world guys have to be told no 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 it's a woman's world women can do anything so you have to really as a guy say well i don't know if i can do that i don't want to be i don't want to come across looking like i'm a a male chauvinist and so there's some real issues that guys have to almost check themselves that they're having to do now that they never did not saying that's a cause of mental health but it's it's a factor that's uh, out there in play right now there's i think there's definitely a balance to it um talk you know you hear the the word toxic or the words toxic masculinity thrown around a lot and i think that's where as i was saying before that's where that comes from when people can't open up and share what's really going on inside and they feel like they have to keep it you know stuffed away that's going to come out somehow typically in a horrible way yeah i mean as a guy we we kind of can't win for losing we're we're uh we're trying to be men and be tough but then some people are are, are turned off by the right. masculinity and supposedly in the the world of dating women generally like a guy who's like mr mr guy don't act like a girl act like a guy and um, i don't know i'm gonna shut up well do you think though that it's like maybe like okay the feminist movement and women you know saying oh toxic masculinity and men shouldn't act like this and it's a woman's world do you think it's almost like 
they're not confident in themselves. So in order to feel more confident, they have to put someone down and vice versa. Some, Because there are some men out there who are like women, you know, are nothing and they're worthless. And there's some cultures out there who still today think women are worthless and nothing. Do you think it's almost like a bullying kind of thing? If I keep pushing this group of people down, it'll make myself or my gender feel better. Well, I think in society, we're so focused on being right. You know, who's right? Right. And our egos get in the way. But if everyone were to really pay attention to themselves, as I said before, and pay attention to how they can grow personally, I mean, is there ever a reason for a man to get violent unless he or someone that he cares about is in danger? Mm-hmm. No, there's not. And so if the if if men, and the, on the other hand, with women, you know, do we... I don't want to just, you know, talk bad about the men here. Women no, we're going to talk bad about women. That's coming up. <laughs> That's the next segment. Yeah, right. Dakota Harmon, our special guest, says we're wrapping up our men bashing. We'll get into the women bashing here in a second. Go ahead. Your thought on that. <laughs> With women, yeah, women can do it too. I mean, we're, we're just as much to blame. We, we have egos, and that can definitely get in the way of learning ourselves and learning how to be a... I don't know the word I'm looking for, a pleasant force in this world Mm -hmm. let me ask you a question about women as the uh outsider here on the on the women thing it seems to me that women unlike men like to have battles with other women guys don't care what other guys think about themselves but women are in competition with other women that surely has to affect mental health right um, yes, but I actually don't think that's true. I think men oh, do. You know? Some men do care about what other men think about them. They think about maybe not the way they look, kind of like women. I think a lot of insecurities that women have to deal with is how we look and yeah. how we're presented in this world. But with men, I think it's more of an intelligence and protection type deal. Like men just, I, I don't know about you personally. I don't know you that well, but I know some men that have cared about what other men think and that's where their ego is dominant and and that's where the the violence comes out and the um, aggressiveness comes out a lot of times. I, I think um, for guys, it may not be looks as much as it might be things like wealth. Yeah, right, status. yeah. Wealth is definitely one of them. And status, but I still don't really care about what guys think. I really only care about what women think. <laughs> Including that is my mama. If my mama ain't happy, I ain't happy. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you're right. I think women, we often look at other women at times, but I think that's where kind of the self-reflection and realizing, like, and this is something that I've kind of started thinking about a little bit more lately, is there's always going to be someone out there younger than you, fitter than you, stronger, prettier, you know, whatever. And so if you keep focusing on those things that other people have, you're you're just going to be unhappy your whole life right and never satisfied and i'm not saying like oh yeah get comfortable and just you know like try but do it for yourself stop comparing yourself to other people yes exactly i think that's where a lot of depression and anxiety comes from is comparing ourselves to other people and again if you just look within and and focus on your own mental health and your own evolution as a person then you'll be a lot better off yeah now we talk about others but I want to make sure we point out there, Megan was hinting at this, there's always going to be somebody out there who might be a little faster, a little bit stronger, a little bit prettier than you. Yeah. You're always going to have people out there that, that don't like you. They may not outwardly tell you that, but even some of your closest family members and or friends deep down aren't really on your side. 
So I'm just giving you a heads up on that. Don't be surprised. <laughs> in life, when you encounter. <laughs> in, in life, if you find it. And don't be depressed. It, it happens to all of us. Right. Megan, there's somebody out there that doesn't like you. Oh, I know. They oh. live right in my neighborhood. I really don't right? care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't live in her neighborhood, in case y'all were thinking it was me. <laughs> yeah, a, it's not John, y'all. I'm, I'm a big fan. It's not John, y'all. I like that. <laughs> So what can we learn, and what, what is your advice, Dakota, for anybody? I know they need to pick up a phone, perhaps, but what else can they do to help their situation if they're suffering from mental health? Yeah, definitely seek help if, if that's what you feel like you need. And to your point of there's always going to be someone that doesn't out there that doesn't like you, that shouldn't affect you at all. If you, if you found that inner peace within yourself and you're okay with who you are, then that's all that should matter. Yeah, my dad always said, if you wouldn't ask them for their opinion on something in your life that you're thinking about or that matters, then they don't matter kind right. of thing. You know, if you wouldn't take their advice on anything, other, other aspect in your life, then why are you worried about what they're thinking about right. you? Exactly. And our production staff here has handed me a note that says that May is actually Mental Health Awareness Month. So May. okay. We should have covered this in May. We didn't, but we're covering it now. It's never too late as this is a subject that needs to be brought out often exactly. we want to save lives here that's a big part of what we're doing here by welcoming in dakota to our show today let's let's get serious here for a minute and realize that this is a an ongoing problem it may be worse than it's ever been but whether it is or not we still want to help those who need help yeah and yes. mental health is a real real struggle is there a number people can call you if if you're available or um, yeah, it's my personal cell phone number, and I don't really want to give that no, out I, right I, I, here. I didn't know if you were with an agency or whatever. I That's, am, but that will be in the future. Okay, we'll, we'll uh, share that with you. But uh, check out, again, if you are in need of mental health assistance or anything like that, there is a, a group called V-O-Y-C-E, V-O-Y-C-E, and they help out with mental health awareness. I don't – what's that suicide hotline? There is a suicide hotline. I don't. It's something like three one one or something like that. Yeah, I think it's eight eight one one. Eight one one. Okay. That no eight one one. I think is call before you dig. Okay, I'll pull it up. (laughs) Not that mental health equally equates to suicide, but often it could could perhaps uh, lead to that. So we want to make sure that people are aware of that. Nine eight eight. Nine eight eight. Okay. It's a new thing. That's why we're all at a loss here today, or maybe it's just too dang early for us. But uh, that is a number now you can call for help anytime because we want to we want to save lives. Absolutely. We want to help out. Anything else, Dakota? You got? No, just if you're if you're seeking or if you feel like you need help, seek it out. There's no shame in it at all. Anything else for Miss Dakota? I've got nothing else. You for got now. nothing else. All right. How is she with? Uh, what did I hear, y'all? Y'all play horse? Oh yeah, like basketball. The yeah. game horse. Yeah. I think yeah. we're gonna get a workout in after this. And, and who, yeah. who 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 wins that? competition i'd like to say me you you're probably, i'd like to but i can't never underestimate headwall over here she's quite she's full of surprises yeah she's pretty athletic isn't she definitely, no, definitely she packs not. a punch that's why you know it's already tough on us guys and then you got megan superstars of the world <laughs> and it uh makes it even more tough hey dakota thank you very much for stopping by the y'all show it's a pleasure meeting you thank you for having me yeah, thank nice you for the you important too. work that you do thank you when we come back Megan and I are going to put on our best Texas A&M hat and say, gig em. We're going to preview the 23 A&M football team under the direction of Jimbo Fisher. All that is part of our 
coverage of college football, and we'll do that right after this. This Monday edition of the Y'all Show, we're going to take you to Aggieland. And Megan, look at me right now. What am I doing? Giving me a thumbs up. Am I? Are you? No, I'm not. I'm giving you a gig'em. What is gig'em it? Aggies. That's okay. one of the traditions of Texas A&M that I'll tell you all about here. We're on a tour across the southeast getting you ready for the start of college football. And this week, we've got Texas A&M as our spotlight school today. Tuesday, we'll be in Death Valley, Clemson, South Carolina, getting you ready for Dabo Sweeney's 2023 season. It's all about Clemson on Tuesday. Wednesday, it's all about the Oklahoma Sooners. Thursday's y'all show will take you to Oxford and the University of Mississippi. And on Friday, a team that will be kicking off just hours after we spotlight them. It's all about the Vanderbilt Commodores on Friday's y'all show. But today, it's all about the maroon and white of Texas A&M and Boy, Megan, last year was a year of horrors for Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies. They had a losing season. They pay this guy a bunch of money, and he had a horrible season. And you're sitting here thinking, thinking, oh, how horrible? Five and seven. They should have lost that last game with LSU. They should have finished four and eight, but they did have a respectable five and seven finish. But in the SEC, AM, A&M did just as bad, two and six. An SEC play that got swept by the Mississippi schools, and just a uh, they got beat by Appalachian State. Luke Combs's college went in to Aggieland and got a big victory last year. That's just how bad it was for Texas A&M this season. They're looking for an improvement, and for nearly a hundred million dollars, they ought to be getting it from Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, you think? If not, I'm gonna give ninety-nine million to Megan, and I think <laughs> she could probably do just about as good. And as you all know from listening, I have no clue what's going on. Evidently, Jimbo Fisher doesn't either. (laughs) The Aggies start this season with a home game against the Lobos of New Mexico. Then they'll be down in Miami taking on the Hurricanes September 9th. The Warhawk Indians of Louisiana Monroe, they're the opponent on September 16th at Bryan College Station. Auburn is the opponent. SEC play opens for A&M against the War Eagle Plainsmen there in in Texas A&M country in Aggieland on September 23rd. A game in Arlington against Arkansas set for September 30th. That nice little rivalry they've got going on with Alabama is renewed on October 7th. This time, also back at Kyle Field, where two years ago, A&M shocked Alabama with a big victory there. The Aggies have a rare appearance in Neyland Stadium. They'll be taking on the Tennessee Vols October 14th. They'll be back home to take on the Gamecocks of South Carolina on the 28th of October. A trip to Vault-Hemingway Stadium in Lane Kiffin's Mississippi Shark Bear Rebels is on November 4th. Then it is a game against MSU, Mississippi State, November 11th, back in Kyle Field. Abilene Christian, how about that? ACU comes over for a game against their in-state foe on November 18th. And then the Aggies wrap up the season at LSU on November 25th. A former Aggie player 
Brandon Leone has commented on the website texags.com about the 2023 season and his thoughts of Texas A&M heading in to the season. He says he's cautiously optimistic about what Jimbo Fisher's team is going to do. He is partly cautiously optimistic about the new offensive coordinator. They've got Bobby Petrino coaching the Aggies, the former Louisville, the former Arkansas, the former Atlanta Falcon head coach, now the offensive coordinator for Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. What he says about the quarterback situation, Brandon Leone says that you've got to feel confident no matter where they go because they want to be able to win a bunch of football games. He's wanting to make sure that they end up having the best leadership at the QB position. So this guy has pretty good expectations and Brandon Leone played for A&M back before they were in the Southeastern Conference in case you're wondering. But one of the big grinds that people like Leone have is for God's sakes, Texas A&M needs to beat one or both of the Mississippi schools every time they play them. And last year they were swept by Mississippi State in Mississippi. And it's a it's a matter of embarrassment that this program, with all the, the students and all of the support of the great state of Texas, they can't beat Mississippi <laughs> or MSU. And that's a big, big problem for them in Aggie land. It's a big, big problem for Jimbo Fisher if he doesn't get this ship righted and the coach of the Aggies recently speaking as he had a press conference in the last few days talking about his football team. Let's go in and hear the Sanford University alum, Jimbo Fisher, talking about his 23 edition of Aggie football. I think the healthy team's really good. We've had a really good camp that way. We've had guys few nicked and knacked, but nobody that's out. They'll miss a day here, miss a practice here, but we're really healthy. Probably as healthy as we've been in many teams I've had in a long, long time. Uh, Donovan will be out. He had an ACL and what he did. That was it. Second row, uh, Yeah, Jimbo, a couple things. First of all, how long does it take for you to get a feel about, you know, when you hear about team chemistry, to you get a feel about what the chemistry's like? Does it have to be halfway through the season? Can you get an idea just, early? Just get a sense. I mean, how guys are working, how they're relating to each other. I like our, di- I like our dynamic right now. I really do. I like our dynamic as far as the energy we have in practice, coming with a purpose, the meetings. Uh, guys seem to be very locked in very driven very motivated you know what i'm saying and, and you can sense it and an urgency to do things right and guys communicate this from a, this from the communications and questions to each other to coaches that dynamic and practice and feel very confident but that, i think chemistry always evolves and i think situations develop chemistry i think your your chemistry grows as you gain confidence in what you're doing and how you're doing it and then you get guys in situations that make plays, whether it's in practice and then in coursing. You got to take it to the practice field in a scrimmage, and you got to take it to a game, you know, during the season. So that culture and and chemistry always continues to grow or deplete. It could be. I mean, if 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 it went the other way, I mean, that's always on any team. And that's Jimbo Fisher, head coach of the Texas A&M Aggies. Again, they start their season against the New Mexico Lobos as the Lobos come into Kyle Field for a battle in prime time on ESPN on September 2nd. That's the Saturday of the opening weekend of college football. Now, quickly about Texas A&M and its great traditions. Texas A&M is home of the 12th man, and that goes all the way back to 1922 when that tradition got going, and that's even their website. The official athletic website for Texas A&M is 12thman.com. They also have the tradition of Reveille, and that's the the cute little dog there, the border collie, and they actually have that border 
Kali regularly go to classes and live on campus with the Corps of Cadets there at Texas A&M University, which again started out as an all-male military school in the 18, uh, late 1870s as it was a land-grant college there in College Station. So, yes, the tradition of Reveille and Texas A&M is just chock full. Their band, by the way, is all of their uh, Corps of Cadet members. Oh. They don't have cheerleaders at Texas A&M. They have Yale leaders, and they're all guys. <laughs> they look like milkmen out there in the little white outfits. <laughs> they have the Friday Night Yale as a tradition, and muster and more. The class ring is a big part of the Texas A&M University, a member of the Southeastern Conference, and getting ready for what A&M fans hope a turnaround in 2023. And our Spotlight School today, glad to feature A&M. Our Spotlight School coming up on Tuesday's Y'all Show, the Clemson Tigers. Megan, we've come to the end of the show. Thank you. Yes. And again, thank you to Dakota Harmon for being our very special guest. We'll see y'all on the Tuesday edition. Until then, have a great day.